unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and you sent me the full notes for this week's show, and I am just blown away with the stuff that you've got lined up for the listeners today. Well, let's jump in, and, you know, let's let's thank Facebook for having groups, because one of my Facebook friends in a copywriting group asked a question about whether there are more kinds of proof than most people think of. You know, most people think of logic and testimonials, case studies. And that got me to thinking. And I realized there are other kinds. And these other kinds of proof are just not obvious to everyone. In fact, the less obvious they are, the more they fly under the radar and the more powerful they're likely to be. Proof is one of the most underused parts of copy. But it's one of the most important. Why? because it's going to be really hard to get people to believe you without enough convincing proof elements. Mm -hmm. And no belief equals no sales. So you definitely need all the proof you can get. I've identified four kinds of proof that the best copywriters are already using all the time. But most people don't fully understand or even know about these kinds of proof at all, at least some of them. And today we'll go over all four. But only after we get over this first. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So we're going to take a deep look at four kinds of proof. Believe me, there will be some overlap between the categories. Still, each kind is basically different enough to deserve a category of its own. So yes, sometimes you could come up with a piece of proof that could definitely fit in more than one category depending on how you look at it. That doesn't matter, though. The important thing here is to understand that you need as much proof as you can get. Remember, maybe you're sold on the product, but your prospect probably isn't. Just because someone knows you, likes you, and trusts you doesn't necessarily mean they will buy from you. Because unless they have had an experience already using a very similar product from you in the past, the chances are really good that they have their doubts and you can't count on them to believe you completely about any particular product just because you say so. Before we get into the different types of proof, I also wanted to just take a second to pick your brain about where your audience is at. I'm thinking about kids watching Saturday morning cartoons and they see a commercial for a really sugary cereal, or they see a commercial for the latest toy from Mattel, 
they don't usually require very much proof because we have all kinds of rules in advertising to prevent us from manipulating the audience because they're so gullible. I also think about internet marketing and the different types of audiences there are for internet marketing. The less sophisticated audiences usually can be won over just by a guy in his garage with a bunch of books on the shelf and a couple of fancy cars. But the more sophisticated audiences require a lot more proof. So just your thoughts on where the audience is at, their maturity level, their sophistication, and the requirements of proof. Well, kids don't buy cereal. Their parents do, Mm. um, number one. And number two, a real low-information, gullible person might buy once, but they're probably not going to have the purchasing power to be a good lifetime value customer. So I'm, I'm talking more about the not even sophisticated, you know, you're, you're less gullible, more main person. I mean, I know I've seen lots of people spend lots of money on scams, but this is for everybody else. And I think once you've gotten past that gullibility stage of any particular market, once you as a customer have been burnt once or twice, now you're going to require a lot more proof before you make that third purchase on a third solution when the first two didn't work the way you thought they were going to. Yeah, and that's going to be most of the market. So you're, you're really talking about fringe examples there. So if you're not already big on proof, you're probably not getting nearly the sales you could be getting or should be getting. And if you are big on proof, then you need to listen closely to find out what you're not already doing that you should be doing from now on. So with that in mind, let's get started. Now, the first kind of proof is authority celebrity proof. This can come in the form of an endorsement or a testimonial, or even a brand. Think George Foreman Grills, more than 100 million sold. Of course, it wasn't just his name that did the job, but it sure helped. So why does authority celebrity proof work? Well, here's why. When someone you look up to or inherently trust tells you something, you tend to believe it right away. And that's the idea between authority and or celebrity proof. There are three kinds within this category. First, combined celebrity slash authority proof. Second, celebrity only proof. And authority only proof. Let's look at each one. So the first one, combined celebrity authority. Once, long time ago, in a forum post online, Jay Conrad Levinson wrote, David Garfinkel is the best copywriter I have known. Of course, I immediately asked him if I could use that as a testimonial, and he agreed. Now, Jay was a celebrity in the marketing world at that time as the author of the Guerrilla Marketing series, but he was also an authority, having worked at a very high level in the advertising world and being a world-class marketing expert himself. So that's an example of combined authority and celebrity as proof. I have to admit it was much more useful to me when I was still writing copy for clients, but it's still a great example of authority and celebrity. Example two is pure celebrity with no real authority for the product. Like, think of Jennifer Garner. She's been in over 30 movies and on more than 20 TV shows. I don't think she knows a whole lot about credit cards, actually. Not in a technical sense. Maybe she does, but it doesn't matter. 
She's got a familiar face. She's engaging on TV, and she's in been, and she's been in Capital One credit card commercials for almost twenty years. People imagine that they bond with celebrities. Of course, you can use a smaller scale celebrity than Jennifer Garner in your niche, but the idea is the same though. And done right, this really helps you build your credibility, thus providing proof what you say is true. So example number three is authority without a major celebrity presence. For example, doctors. Not like Dr. Sanjay Gupta, a real TV doctor, or the old TV doctor Ben Casey, who was played by an actor from back in the day. Not guys like that, but instead docs you've never heard of, an ordinary doc. Ordinary docs convey a lot of authority just because they are doctors. And a lot of people who write supplement promos use doctors you've probably never heard of before. There are niche famous doctors like Dr. Sears. But there are plenty of otherwise unknown docs who show up in sales letters and on VSLs too. Docs are a great example of authority without celebrity because being an MD automatically conveys trust. And why is that? Well, because after nurses, docs are the most trusted profession in America, according to a recent Gallup poll. Mm, by comparison, Advertising practitioners are at the bottom of the list, just above members of Congress, car salespeople, and lobbyists. Why the long face, Nathan? I just report the news. You decide. <laughs> As you're reading this, I'm remembering some examples from Cialdini's influence book, where he was talking about people doing things just because someone in a lab coat told them to. And also, I'm remembering an experiment called the Milgram experiment, and it was talking about uh, how people would do some pretty atrocious things just because someone in a lab coat told them to. And then I, the last point on this is the last year, two years, we saw a doctor also get some celebrity fame and be used to influence people as well. And so, yeah, doctors are a powerful force of influence and makes perfect sense. So are you saying that after he retires from civil service, Dr. Fauci is going to become the um, mascot for Vicks Theraflu? <laughs> I was not going to use any names, and I'm not going to make any declarative statements on the podcast. All right. All right, then let's move on to our second kind of personal proof. Second kind of proof is personal proof. And personal proof means emotional, experiential proof. This kind of proof is devastatingly effective, and it usually flies under the radar. It involves comparisons or similes, saying something is like something else, and that something else is something familiar and involves a strong impact or emotion. Let's talk about a few variations of this. The first variation is to talk about what something feels like physically. Say you've got a fancy riding lawnmower and you're selling to men with a big budget. You could say something that they can probably relate to from their own experience or at least have fantasized deeply enough about 
I don't like where your mind is going on this, Nathan, uh, before it even, so it seems like they've experienced it. You could say once about the lawnmower, you could say once you get going, it runs with the powerful purr of a high performance sports car. Mm. Okay. So the second variation of this personal proof is to talk about what something feels like emotionally. Let's say you're talking to technically timid parents who cannot make head nor tails of their phones or computers. They don't know how to use them and they're terrified that they'll screw something up. And let's say you have courses that will put them at ease because they'll feel confident that they can do whatever they need to do. You could say, you know, when you lose your kids at the mall and then you get that feeling of relief when you find them, you'll get that same feeling of relief when you've taken our class and finally you are the one in charge of your phone. And the third variation of personal proof is talk about a shared event that had a deep impact on many or most people. Like say you're talking to an entrepreneur who's struggling to get financing for their business. You could say, remember what it was like when the whole country was in lockdown in the early days of COVID? That's how you feel sometimes when you can't get the financing you need to grow your business, no matter who you turn to. If your prospect has felt that way, and there's a good chance that that overwhelming sense of helplessness and being boxed in is similar for people who experienced both things, there's a powerful form of proof by itself, proof that you know what you're talking about. So this person proof is indirect because it works in the unconscious mind more than the conscious mind. And you never want to depend on this kind of proof alone to make the sale. But it's a powerful addition to what you've already got. So what do you think? For people like me, this is actually the most powerful form of proof because someone in a lab coat isn't going to convince me. Somebody telling me, look, B is true. You have to trust B. B is the truth. You're going to like B. That doesn't work for me. But if you tell me, hey, you like A and A is just like B, then my mind is going to say, oh, well, if A is just like B, then I'm probably going to like B. So instead of them telling me what to believe, they're just giving me some breadcrumbs and allowing me to come to the conclusion myself. And if it's your idea trying to be forced on me, I'm going to be putting up resistance. But if you allow me to come to the conclusion myself, then it's my idea. If you allow me to make the association and then I have the aha moment, oh, A is just like B and I love A, so I probably will like B, then it's my idea. It's not your idea being forced on me. It's my own idea. And if it's my idea, I'm sold. That's a really good insight. And I appreciate that. I mean, I am the same way. The way I look at it for myself, and I think the way you may look at it too. You might not like guys in white coats, but you might like what Ben Settle does, or you might like what Claude Hopkins said. I mean, you have your own set of authorities and your own set of these guys don't count, but you're not even going to want to hear what they have to say until you have that gut feeling that, yeah, I think I'd like this. All right. You mentioned Cialdini before. The third kind of proof is social proof. And that means masses of people like the product or masses of people like something about the product. So you've probably heard the term social proof before, and it was introduced by Robert. 
It was introduced by Robert Cialdini in the 1980s in his book, Influence. But people have been using versions of this for centuries. The idea is this. If a lot of people like or believe in or use something, that alone makes it good, valuable, and true. Now, we could argue about that, but nevertheless, that's how humans are wired to react. There are some obvious and not so obvious versions you can use in your copy of this. For example, if one component of your product is similar to something that is used at a standard in a very big industry in the world, then you can put focus on this one popular standard reliable aspect. I know that's a mouthful. So uh, this example ought to make it clear. This example, our ball bearings are made from military grade precision machined steel. Now, the components work because people know or at least believe that the military has very high standards for materials. I do. I think so. Therefore, military grade probably makes you better than a lot of competitors who skimp on the quality of their materials. Now, is the military popular? Okay, that's really a different question. Of course, some people like it and some people don't. But in terms of the raw numbers for social proof, check this out. In the U.S. alone, there are 1.4 million members of the military and a lot more vets. And in the U.S. defense budget, you've got $7.54 billion. I think that number is wrong. I think it's even higher than that. But anyway, a lot of money. So military grade implies that large numbers of people have signed off on this level of quality, not in the product itself, but on the standards included in one of the components in the product you make. And how this works is even though most of your customers don't have exact numbers like 1.4 million people at their fingertips, they do know that those specific numbers or not, the military is huge. And that makes the term military grade a form of implied social proof. Another way is much simpler, but just as effective. In a headline, you have a large customer group. Here's an old headline that worked really well for a music school. Thousands now play who never thought they could. And here's how this works as social proof. If a customer can't play, and wonders if the product will work for them, and that's a really common worry among customers for any product, then since your customer sees it work for thousands of others, they figure chances are good that it'll work for them. You can use this kind of social proof with images too. If you have a picture of yourself or of your client speaking to a large group of people, that alone is social proof. It implies huge credibility. It's an authority form of proof. The speaker is the leader of the group that they're speaking to and a form of social proof as well. The larger the group, the better. People who get invited to speak to groups and go ahead and do it automatically get social proof just for doing that. What do you think about social proof? Yeah. A few weeks back, we had Sage Polaris come on and she was talking about the different types of buyers and she was talking about the Bart Simpson buyer that's impulsive and wants the sales page or the buy now button at the top of the sales page. One of the ways that I've consistently been able to increase conversions on that first buy now button is just by putting a 
really powerful testimonial and maybe like the Amazon five-star review with a bunch of global reviews on there, have that right above the buy now button so that they see that social proof at the very top of the page. And for those types of buyers that are looking to purchase right when they hit the page, having that social proof skyrockets the conversion rates on that first button. So yeah, social proof is incredibly powerful. Oh, that that's really good. I've, I've never heard of that specific configuration, but that sounds like it would be very powerful. Yeah. Okay. And let's get to our fourth type. It's logical proof. And this is what you people think of all the time and typically uses proof. I saved it to last so you could consider the other kinds of proof first. Logical proof works, but you're cheating yourself if it's the only kind of proof you use. Nevertheless, you should definitely use this type of proof as well as the others. So let's look at three versions of logical proof. The first one is facts about your product, the way it's manufactured, the quality of its components or ingredients, the measured performance of your product. Here's an example. Our dining room chairs are made from the finest red oak, a wood known for its strength, flexibility, and durability. Important point here. Don't just mention the type of wood and expect your products to figure out the implication of it. Mention the features and benefits which reinforce why it is a good or exceptional component of your product. Second version, results. This is where customer testimonials and case studies come in handy. Be careful to acknowledge that the results may not be typical. The FTC recently announced that they are going to be looking harder at these kind of claims. With that in mind, and because no one could ever call him typical anyway, here's a results testimonial for my copywriting mentoring services from Mike Morgan, who has since become the copy chief at the Big Publisher Money Map Press. David was the best mentor I've ever had. Months after I first started working with him, I wrote my first million-dollar sales letter. Recently, I wrote what the publisher at Agora Financial called one of the three best promos they've ever had. I also beat the longest standing control in their history. But I didn't do any of these by myself. David gave me crucial feedback that made my copy sing. If you want to become a copy master, get David's help. Again, not everyone I mentor becomes copy chief at Money Map Press. In fact, no one else probably will for a while, since I imagine Mike will keep that position for some time to come. Okay, and a third type of logical proof is a demonstration, which allows the customer to see for themselves how what you offer is good and worthwhile. Demonstration is the most effective form of selling bar none. If you can show how your product works, that will go a long way to proving how good it is. And you could do this in the form of a diagram or a video on your website or a free trial where your customers get to try it out for themselves for a limited time. A lot of companies that sell software use this kind of proof. So that wraps up logical proof. And before I recap, do you want to say anything about logical proof? Yeah, I just want to say for us old guys, we remember the old infomercials and what comes to mind immediately for me is the guy standing up on stage and he's got the knife and he cuts through an aluminum can and then to prove that the knife still holds its edge, he grabs a tomato and slices 
seamlessly right through the tomato and it's like wow powerful demonstration another example is uh the vacuum cleaner i remember an old vacuum cleaner commercial where he's like if you don't believe me that this vacuum cleaner has the most amazing suction he takes the nozzle off of it and puts the vacuum up to a bowling ball and just from the suction alone picks up the bowling ball that type of demonstration it goes miles beyond any kind of claim that you can make about your product yeah it really does when you see it with your own eyes and the product you're thinking of buying you go well how can i go wrong of course there's still a million ways you can go wrong but you don't think about that at the time all right so let's recap there are four kinds of proof one celebrity authority proof getting an endorsement from someone that people in your market look up to or citing something that someone says like a university or a credible, other credible institution that supports something about your product. Two, personal proof, tapping into the power of your prospect's personal experience, but comparing the emotion or sensation of something about your product to something probably most of your prospects have experienced personally. Three, social proof, based on the unspoken but widespread assumption that if a lot of people are doing something, it must be the right thing to do. And for logical proof, ingredients and components, results, and demonstration. This is what most people think of and use when they're trying to include proof. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Just to close out, I want to get your thoughts on the different types of markets that you're selling to. Like I mentioned earlier, number two is going to be the one that wins me over out of all three of these every single time, the personal proof. But mm-hmm. depending on who you're selling to, and what it is that you're selling do you have thoughts should we try to include all of these or should we try and figure out which one is going to work best for our market and focus more heavily on that what are your thoughts on that yeah i don't know i i think you have to size up each market and think about how they like to be persuaded see look at successful sales letters i think you could use this sort of As a guide, I mean, you could do an audit of other sales messages to people in that market and find the ones that are working the best and just look at the kind of proof they're using. I think certainly the the more left-brained your market is, the more analytical your market is, the more you're going to want to use logic. And I'm I'm not sure if there's anything else that especially appeals to left-brained people here. But the the problem is, at the end of the day, no one really makes a left brain decision. The the left brain stuff is justification, excuse, window dressing. I think there there are some markets where people are very very. I mean, I have a a client who deals with people in a very difficult, embarrassing life situation, and they're very sensitive to being sold, and so. We, we've gone over an ad where we've been getting incremental improvements by just almost with an eyedropper putting anything emotional in it. So I, I think the personal proof tread very lightly in a situation where your market is very sales resistant, cautious, hypervigilant. The best thing to do is use your own common sense. What do these people want to hear? What kind of questions do you get? outside of a sales letter environment, more in a face-to-face or a forum or a customer service environment and meet those questions, anticipate them, maybe even, you know, preempt them with 
the kind of proof you use. Gotcha. Okay, David, a lot of new tools to add to our copywriting tool belt. I appreciate you putting this together for us today. And sure. for you out there, if you enjoyed this episode and you want more just like it, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. And one real quick question for you as we're out of here. You mentioned mentoring Million Dollar Mike earlier, and I know that you do that for certain people that qualify to come on and have you go through their copy and make it more persuasive, more powerful. If people are interested in reaching out to you about that, is there a way that people can get a hold of you and see if they might be a good fit for you? Of course there is. At GarfinkelCoaching.com, all of my... You know, I have three services. I, I mentor working copywriters who are already doing pretty well. I work with business owners who want to expand their direct marketing repertoire. And I do copy critiques, one-off wow. critiques of sales letters and video scripts, things like that. Awesome. All right. Garfinkelcoaching.com, copywriterspodcast.com. Those are the two main places to find David. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.